Good afternoon, everybody. This is Cornelia Rand, Rugby Coffee Podcast. This is a Sunday, and this is a good day. It's a weekend. Um, yeah, there you go, and then we've got some rugby coffee going, but it's a weekend where MLR started in the USA and, and Canada. It is a weekend where it was Super Saturday in the, uh, in the Six Nations. Um, obviously, there's Super Rugby down in Australia and New Zealand. Some quality games there, but it's a it's a very good you know weekend. Um, there's one more game for the MLR to play today, and I know our guest today. That's his team, Nola Gold. They playing against Old Glory DC. Um, so that's a great game coming up later on. We can tell you all about MLR in a minute. But let me introduce to you one of the one third, I would say, of the. Um, the podcast that's very popular in the USA and Canada, the Rugby Rant podcast. Um, it's an MLR podcast. It focuses on the North American game. But I can only introduce Rob the, Ham- the Hammer Hammerschmidt, and he can tell us a little bit more. But welcome, Rob. It's really nice to have you on this show. Thank you so much for having me, Cornet. It's, it's been a it's been a treat. First of all, to work with Rugby Coffee. Um, it's a, like like rugby is a passion, and coffee is a passion for you. Uh, both are passions for me as well. So it's a it's a partnership uh, made in heaven. <laughs> there you go. Let's go. Toast on that. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Um, no, it's 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 good because you know um, people won't probably know, but we um, got to speak to you guys and knowing that we are introducing our coffee around the world. Eventually, we're going to be in the U.S. and Canada, and we liked the podcast, and we sort of started talking, and then uh, it came about that we can do a bit of sponsorship with you guys and get the word out. And for people who don't know, um, these guys are very animated uh, on their podcast because they're very passionate about what they're talking about, and there's rugby in North America and seeing that game grow. Now, um, they got us on board and said, look, we are happy to have your coffee uh, on our podcast and as a, as a sponsor, so we are happy to supply, you know, the Rugby Round podcast with, with the coffee. But what is Rugby Coffee? If people don't know, listening for the first time, it is about uh, great coffee, Great people, bringing them together together to make a difference. And where do we make a difference is where we have a big passion uh, for as the kids in rugby, the kids who don't necessarily get the opportunity, kids who potentially won't uh, won't have um, ability to pay for it. You know, their parents. You know that kind of thing. Uh, kids in you know countries that might not see this kind of thing on their doorstep or offer to them. That's where we're about. Now, if we um, have great coffee and people believe in it and they drink it and they buy it, we then can go and support um, these causes. And we partner with um, Bubezi Pride, was our first charity partner. Um, they're UK based, but they go out in Africa and they've been going out there since 2011 doing fantastic work. Go check them out on online and see what they do. Um, we also do, um, started just with a partnership in B, uh, BC or in Canada. Uh, it's the grassroots 
Root Rugby Foundation, fantastic, as part of the Canadian Rugby Foundation. We've got a foundation or a, a charity that we are partnering up. We've just got to get the final paperwork done. Hopefully, it's going soon in the USA as well, doing fantastic work uh, for a number of years now in the USA. So we're excited about this, and we, we want to make a difference, and that's where, what this is about. And why the podcast? So we can talk about it. We can talk about rugby at all levels how we can grow it, how we can sort of um, make sure that we um, promote what we do, but also promote the game and then people can get involved. So, And the U.S. and Canada is a market that's, that loves their coffee, first of all. Yeah. And then second of all, the rugby there that's established, but, you know, they want to grow it even more and make it one of the mainstream sports, really. So that's why we do it, and um, you know, and that's why the rugby round is um, sort of we involved with them in terms of sponsoring it. So, how's the coffee, first of all, from you, your side? Oh, absolutely fabulous! Uh, I got to be honest with you. So, uh, not to jump too far ahead in the conversation, but I do have a coffee routine every morning, um, and uh, you know, uh, it's it's the common access to common coffees here in the United States. Um, that almost on a on a morning basis uh, are the quick and easy, but the most enjoyable coffee experience I have are with rugby coffee. You know, getting up, grinding the beans, uh, having the opportunity to take the the extra couple minutes to go through that process and and brew a fresh cup of coffee is absolutely phenomenal. And I love I love this uh, uh, brand. It's the crowd favorite, right? Favorite, yeah. We send you guys the crowd favorite, which is a medium roast. One of the two first roasts that we're going to introduce here with you guys in the U- U.S. and Canada. So I'm glad because uh, we've got a fantastic, um, you know, a advisor, coffee industry advisor, somebody who's helping us with getting this right. We got the profile right in the U.K. We are changed changed it slightly for the U.S. for the U.K. Uh, sorry, the North American market, and you guys have something special because this guy is knows his coffee and knows how to brew it and how how to how to roast it. So we are very lucky to have that. So first of all, the product's good, so I'm glad you you like it. But let's just go into what we're going to talk about. I've got my paper here, and I've got. My questions, and we, let's talk rugby podcasts. There's plenty of rugby podcasts now out there, especially since COVID started. There's more that came out, started there. Our business started um, in COVID. The idea started before COVID, but, you know, the business then got a push into, into that. And we knew podcasts is a way to sort of promote what we do and, and promote rugby as a game. So... There's so many. You guys are one of the more popular ones out there. Now, yeah. when did you guys start? Why did you start it? And how? what's the format of your podcast? Great questions. Um, well, we're coming up on our first anniversary, um, April 16th. We'll earmark the first wow. uh, a year since we started the podcast. It actually started because we all dabbled a little bit in the media uh, marketplace in one way or another. Um, Ty Baraga, uh, was of course the, the voice, um, the on-field presence voice of the Colorado Raptors in the end, uh, MLR. He did the, the, some of their games uh, in the, uh, COVID shortened season. Uh, Scott Ferrara is responsible for running a Rooney supporters group called Rooster Boosters. Again, he does a podcast piece 
Uh, and then myself, I had a, a YouTube channel called Hammer Rugby, where I covered and focused on the MLR, uh, colored a little in with uh, Nola Gold. So under COVID, uh, we were going online back and forth on Ty's fan zone, MLR fan zone page about Bastero and whether or not he was worth the weight yeah. and the expense that Rooney put into getting him to come to the United States. And Scott and I were friendly banter, but we were going back and forth. Uh, my sense was, you know, of those big three or four players, including Nonu and Ranger and, uh, you know, Tundai, um, and of course, Bastero. Of those four, uh, who would you have picked first if you had the option of building a team and bringing in one of those players? And I said, you know, he might be the last on that list. Um, and Scott took offense to that, of course, because he's a Rooney supporter. And, and quite frankly and honestly, he watched Bastro on a regular basis. So he probably had legitimately a bit more context than I did. But it it created a conversation. Ultimately, Ty said, boy, this would make a great show. And being said, everybody was Zooming or Google meeting or whatever we were doing, uh, we thought we could make a show out of this. And that's where the rugby rant, it was originally the MLR rant, but that's where the rugby rant was born. Um, and we've developed it since. And uh, it is a very tight marketplace for sure. Uh, but I think we give a lot of thought to providing a avenue for fans. Uh, we have fan polls that generate our conversations uh, we always ask for fan input. We bring fans on our show on a weekly basis. The fans that are most engaged, we ask them to come on. Um, we also want to seek to find out who the fans want us to interview in terms of personalities and faces in the MLR. And so we really look to be a fan-driven podcast. And I think that's what distinguishes us from a lot of the podcasts that are out there in the MLR particularly. So hopefully on that model, we can be sustainable. And, and, you know, I think other podcasts will die off. They'll lose their energy. But um, I think those, those premise um, will, will keep us going. And ultimately we're trying to go rugby one fan at a time. That's our motto. And that I think perfectly aligns with rugby coffee because we're both about developing the next generation. Now for sure. And you, you sort of allude to why you started it, you know, and that is probably the reason that fan, um, that one fan at a time growing the game, getting them, them engaged. And I mean, I've been um, really enjoying your show and um, certainly all the different, um, you know, different people you get involved. Um, the fan engagement is massive. The fans is the glue of everything, you know. Yeah. It has to be. And if you put the fan first, you're going to get to a good product. You're going to get a loyal product, a loyal customer, for, and your product's going to grow. Now, um, our podcast is obviously very amateurish and um, very low-key, but we know what we're trying to do with it. And um, so what have you guys learned in this time? You've been doing it because it's been growing and then the production of it is really getting better and better and you guys are putting something out there that people really enjoy and you know it looks professional as well um so i i think we've always tried to reach out a little bit more with 
along every step of the way. There have been some periods throughout this last year that have really been cornerstone moments for us. Uh, probably the, the one that sticks out the most is in August as after we realized that A, we were sustainable and B, we had something that people liked and wanted to see more of. And so at that point, we re- really gave a lot more thought to getting better interviews. And we developed, by the way, a following. I think uh, our first interview was uh, Nick Feeks. Uh, Nick Feeks was, uh, was is from Australia, but he went to Lindenwood University where my son goes. And so I had a relationship with Nick. We brought him on and he plays for NOLA. And of course, um, I think that gave it some legitimacy. Uh, of course, Dallin Stanford, which you're familiar with, we he was on one of our first rant shows. Uh, and that gave us some legitimacy. So I think at that point, we really developed a following. We developed a, a, a reputation amongst players that we were a, a group that could be trusted, that that they could share information with us that perhaps um, they wanted to keep close to the vest, but it would provide context for a con- a better conversation, more appropriate for a great, you know, a greater fan engagement. Um, and I think then uh, in December, January, we heard one of those other cornerstone moments where we began to reach out to uh, partners. And so August was the, the rugby shop.com, of course. And then we started having conversations with Rugby Coffee, with Tighthead Brewing, which is here in Chicago. Uh, and then, of course, with, with Manscaped. And so we really felt like we were growing our partnerships. And that was a good piece. Um, once we started to do that, we really started to think about the production value and giving our sponsors more cleaner uh, production value and taking up that podcast, which was very, you know, uh, grassroots and very um, uh, homegrown uh, to something that's a little bit more polished. And we're still looking at how we can do that. Um, One of the things we're considering doing is trying to figure out how we can take imagery and graphics from games uh, and do some analysis and bring that to the fans. So they may see the game and watch the game, but may not necessarily see the game necessarily in the way that somebody who has eyes on and who's been experienced watching the game might do it. So again, that's growing one rugby, one fan at a time having, you know, like my mate loves sports, but may not understand rugby being able to see a clip or two and they say, okay, now I see where they created this overlap in space or they created a gap. That's, that's kind of on the horizon for us. So that's an example of just how we're looking to extend our podcast, go beyond our reach use a bit more technology and develop it to begin to grow the game and make it more um, accessible for all fans, uh, those who are experienced and well-heeled in rugby and those who are just new to the game. Yeah, I mean, you've got you've got that part where you um, can educate and then the other part that people can really engage with and add their opinion to because they have that experience. And those two things can meet you know, and that means the education goes through the roof around, and you guys are going to make that change, and you're going to add value in terms of the education around uh, the game. You know, but um, it's fantastic. I, I must say, I must congratulate you guys. You've got quite a few thousands uh, logging in, watching it. If not, uh, when it's going live or published later on, because it's on Facebook. Yes, you can see it on Facebook. Yep. Can you see it every uh, on YouTube yeah. as well? Yeah, so we we 
uh, go live with our weekly interviews on Facebook. They're going to be we're going to be switching from Wednesdays from this last week when we had Commissioner Kilbrew on. We're going to be going to Mondays. J, uh, JT Onyet from the uh, president of the Sabercats will be on. We're going to have Todd Clever on here in a couple of weeks, of course, the captain, Captain America, if you will. He's going to be on as well. So we're moving to Mondays to capitalize a on making it more convenient for players and administrators in the MLR. Usually Monday is a bit of a more relaxed day, recovery day, makes it easier for them to get access rather than being in that high intensity uh, you know, training environment, kind of uh, take advantage of that. And I think it comes off the heels of the weekend's events and games. So we can really ask some of those, be one of the first podcasts to ask some of those tough questions of coaches and players you know, after they play the game. And so that gives, again, uh, it's all about the fan experience now. Um, so, uh, that's one of the pieces, but we're available on, um, you know, YouTube, uh, we're available on all major media platforms, Spotify, Apple, um, you know, uh, Stitcher, et cetera. Uh, Scott's been working really hard to develop our, our social media presence on some of the other platforms, including TikTok and, uh, you know, uh, Instagram. Um, and, and of course, uh, you know, we're so we're very accessible, and that's the other piece. We want any fan to be able to engage with us in any way uh, that they can. Sorry, my dog's in the that's background. That's amazing because you, you, no, that's fine. I send the my my kids out, so you know. <laughs> otherwise, I knew, but you know, um, it's that that sort of things that that that's so important. You know, the TikTok, for instance, the younger market, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You got to be engaging in those those places, especially if we're going to grow a fan at a time. Because um, we can get to it in a, a bit later with when we talk development and rugby. But if you start them young or get their interest young, that's where you're going to win. You know. So, um, any fun stories in this time that you almost a year now um, that you've been going that that just brings to mind that was just makes. That's going down as legendary, you know. <laughs> uh, there are there are a few that stick out. One happened just this just this last week. Um, a, a really good one is Robert Remescu, who's uh, who's an American based player, played for Penn State. Um, he's with Rooney, uh, real good mates with uh, Scott, um, of course, because their contacts were Rooney. Uh, Remescu came on. We were going to record it and then we we're going to release it right around Christmas because we knew we'd have a little bit of lull. Um, and access to players and, and um, you know, give ourselves a little bit of a break there around the holidays and provide our family with a l- little bit more of our attention. Uh, so Rob came on, and at one point, you know, he was trying to change the camera angle, and the, you know, the, his phone fell off the table, and there was a whole, you know, his whole knock-on sort of thing. Um, but it was uh, it was kind of comedic relief. And so we, we actually did a best-of episode over that winter break, uh, right around Christmas time, where we just took some funny clips and edits and kind of put them together. And we as uh, hosts talked about why we selected those particular pieces. Um, this week, uh, I think much to Scott's chagrin, I'm cutting out a piece um, where I I was at the heart of the, uh, the blooper, if you will. Um, so another player that pl- played for Rooney and is a good mate of Scott's um, is Mikey Brown. Uh, he was a hooker. Uh, he played for Rooney, and then he was picked up in a supplemental draft with Dallas. Well, of course, we know the story that somewhere in the roundabouts January, Dallas dropped out of this year's 
play even after the schedule was made. And Mikey had already moved with his wife down to Dallas. And as a matter of fact, he got to tie back into some of our conversation later. He actually got a job with Dallas Jesuit coaching Dallas Jesuits rugby team. So he had a job already. He had made commitments to be a, a high school coach. And um, so I felt terrible for the man. You know, here he is, he ups, he moves his family, his fiance, all the way down to Dallas. And then things fall apart on the rugby side for him. Uh, and he's committed to being a coach. So I, I said to him off camera, I said, Rob, you know, can I support you guys in any way? Can I buy some merch or something to throw a few uh, a few pounds your way? And he said, yeah, as a matter of fact, we're going to have um, we're going to have our merch sales here. So I bought a shirt and I said, I'll throw you guys a shout out on our podcast to make sure everybody knows about Dallas Jesuit and about your role with them. Because I think, again, it's kind of my spirit of. Um, really celebrating the youth game that because that's where it starts. That's where the passion can be could be grown into the next generation of eagle here in the United States. So as I was throwing a shout out this last week, uh, I for, had forgotten that Mikey was no longer with Rooney, um, that he was with uh, now Dallas, and it will be delayed by a year. And I had kind of chided Scott to say, "Hey, not only do I have the shirt, but I'm going to see." Mikey Brown next weekend as I'm going down to watch now Dallas play Rooney. And he's like, yeah, well, you can't be that big of a good of a friend of, uh, of his because you don't even know that he's uh, not playing in New York anymore as a Dallas night. <laughs> Completely. You know, was, uh, yeah. And then the thing that followed me up is I was actually going to go originally, I was going to go to Dallas, see Nola play Dallas actually the weekend after in the third week. Um, so I would have seen him, you know, and it just, in my 50 year old mind, you know, us old boys have taken a, a few knocks to the, uh, to the head. And, uh, we sometimes forget <laughs> either that or our kids drive us to forget things. I'm not sure which, nevertheless, he, he chided me and, 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 uh, it turned out to be a blooper, but I cut it out for this week's podcast. So those folks that are watching here will, will know what right. to look for. <laughs> <laughs> we'll refer it back to this one. Yeah. But yeah. look, it happens. Um, I mean, last week, we did a podcast with Dallin Stanford and Joe Harvey. Joe Harvey is a, is a journalist, a rugby journalist in the UK with, you know, doing, he's, a, he's got Canadian sort of heritage. And Ruch, yeah. Joe was um, actually on our podcast a few weeks, uh, about a month and a half ago. Yes, he mentioned, yeah. but he, he, you know, he's, he's fantastic in terms of writing, uh, looking yes. at the MLR. Um, and Dallin, obviously fantastic what, what he does, but, um, I, I th that was our first video um, sort of recording. All the others were audio. Now um, everything went well, and afterwards, you know, everything putting it together, the um, post production, and all I could see is a green screen on my end. Their two screens are perfect, but my screen's green. So it had to be. That was not not our first video one anymore. So this one is our first video one, just to put you under pressure. There we go. But you've I'm, done it many times before. Then that's awesome. Look, Rob, let's talk about you. Where did you play your rugby, and how did you? Where did you get involved, and where I, are I you? Think, yeah, uh, I think my story in rugby is unique to rugby, not necessarily unique to American rugby. Um, I came like many Americans of my generation. I'm fi almost fifty. Uh, my generation, they they come to the game in their 20s. Uh, some of them come to the game in, the, in their college. Uh, and so I came to the game actually after I started teaching. Um, I was uh, teaching in Lamont, Illinois, which is a southwest suburb of Chicago. Uh, I 
had a student um, whose mom came to parent teacher night and she, Rowan Rebenson, shout out to Row. Uh, she is a mouth like a trucker and could uh, handle herself on any wharf or any dock that you could find anywhere in, in, in the world. She's a tough lady. And she says, you know, you look pretty athletic. Do you do anything? And I said, well, I play, you know, flag football, uh, being the typical American. And she says, you know what, that, that sports for, for, well, Wally woofers or whatever, whatever we want to say. <laughs> she, she used an American term and I'll keep that out of the podcast to keep it, uh, yeah. PG 13. Yeah. Uh, and, and she said, you need to try rugby. And so at 23 years of age, 24 years of age, um, I, I saw that as a challenge. And so I come from a wrestling background, an American football background, and I thought, okay, I'll give it a shot. And uh, from the moment I stepped on the pitch, I felt a camaraderie. I truly felt like I'd found something sporting-wise that fit me. Uh, and from there, I, I always felt a desire to try to provide young people with that same feeling that I got and hopefully give it to them at a younger age so that they can grow and develop. Um, and, and probably, uh, the beacon for me has been, uh, the toolage of my own son who started playing at a young age at, at grade five here, about, oh, say 11, 11 years old. Uh, now he's in college, uh, and has, uh, successful, been very successful. And so I'm hoping that through promotion of the rugby rant and through really spreading the game and being involved in touching the MLR and being involved in Chicago rugby, uh, that we can help make more, uh, more kids like my son grow and, and become, um, fascinated and, and fall in love with a, a wonderful and beautiful game of rugby. Um, so, you know, I played wow. men's club for about 10 years and, um, uh, then when my own kids started to get involved, I joined with some other people that I knew. A lot of folks here in the Chicago area, a lot of guys that, that I played with started or played against, started their own clubs because their children were getting of age to do to, to play rugby as well. And so that's where I got involved, more involved with the youth game and promotion of the youth game um, and have been involved in high school and junior high and in, um, and in some of the select sides here and around the Chicago area. And there might be some adventures on the horizon that uh, you might hear about somewhere down the road, potentially, in which um, I'll hopefully be able to have an influence on the youth growth of the youth game here in Chicago. Amazing. Now, I got some, uh, you know, goose goose flesh, you know, um, just totally, that is what rugby is about. You know, you got there one, your first time you get, got, to the in, into the environment, you were sort of hooked, you know, and that that is testament to what the grassroots, the values, etc. Of, of the game, sort of teaches you and and provides, you know. So, um, and what position did you play? Can I try and guess? Because I I haven't heard anywhere else, or but I I would think it's either hooker or flanker. <laughs> You're pretty close. I I uh, started off in the second row. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So so I, I'm not I'm six two, not super tall, but um, I was. We had a very mobile pack, so we really prided ourselves to be able to get around the pitch. I prided myself to be in very uh, very mobile, very uh, fit, uh, and I was easy to lift, so I could really contest a lot of lineouts in the defensive side of a, a lineout. 
Um, and I was uh, mobile enough to go forward and back in the in the line out and really allow our it, it actually saved our props some of the energy through through the duration of the game that they didn't have to lift this heavy 240 pound guy it was you know 210 <laughs> 215 a little bit more mobile uh, and then I eventually as I adapted to the game and learned the game I I went to the back row and played open side flanker yeah. Uh, Still stayed in the line out though. That was a point of pride for me is, is I was a flanker, uh, usually the first jumper. And it was, um, I kind of took, I took control of that position and really made it, I really embraced being in the line out, embraced winning line out, really wanted to make that a mainstay of my game. Cause I thought it was an important platform to disrupt the opposition's ball and to gain control of our ball to set a platform for moving forward. A very technical part, the line out. Yeah. So, yeah. no, brilliant, uh, Rob. Um, you know, your your nickname is the Hammer. You know, Scott Ferrara is the big guy. I don't know what ties is. He's I'm a still wondering. He's the Sapper. Okay, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. There you go. No, brilliant. Um, now let's go MLR. Um, MLR. We we have been. I'm pretty tired because I woke. I stayed up till very late last night you know, in the morning hours, just trying to look at all these games, see what it's like through the Rugby Network app, you know, and, you know, obviously the one game that I was really interested in first off was some, was the Giltinis, Giltinis against um, the Free Jacks. The reason was um, Dallin Stanford is a, brand ambassador for rugby coffee he was calling that game he was commentating on that um plus dth who was on your podcast the other day he's also a brand ambassador for us and how amazing was it dth first try for la Giltinis in the mlr dth from america and the second and he could have had a third third yeah but um and then he was man of the match as well and he got mentioned a few times, and rugby coffee was mentioned as well. So for me, that was fantastic. But you know, just the whole hype, the whole year without the rugby, the shortened last year, and then getting into it now, building it up, it was exciting to just see what the production is going to be like, what MLR is doing through their app, what the rugby network's doing, and it's free as well for anybody that wants to go and have a look. Um, and I'm sure you can watch the games back. I haven't uh, looked at that, but you know it's it's fantastic. And yes, the level of the game will grow, will develop um, with COVID. It's not easy as well with no fans there. Some games there were some fans, but you know I can see, for instance, the Coliseum. Um, you know, imagine you've got that half full. You know, oh. uh, the, the the teams that arrive there will have a place that they. Just the stage is amazing. Then to be able to play in that stage where all those American sports have played quality and Olympics was there and, and will be there again, I think, you know, that's exciting. And then uh, apart from that, all the other parts of um, where you can go to, you know, in MLR, the different states, different towns, you know, uh, quite exciting. So, how was your? What was your first take in this first weekend so far? I know Nola hasn't played yet, but yeah, they play this afternoon. <laughs> uh, I'll be glued to my glued to my television here very shortly. Um, I, I thought it was interesting the dichotomy that we saw. 
this weekend um, for on on the um, actual uh, website itself, um, the Rugby Network. On one hand, I really watched. We set up a watch party with one of our sponsors, Tight Ed Brewing. I went up there. It's here in Chicago. And we watched the San Diego game. Uh, they played Rooney. Uh, now, San Diego is, of course, playing their, all their home games in Las Vegas. Uh, and, and so the actual broadcast of all the camera angles was not super great. They didn't have permanent posts. And so... Um, and this isn't a criticism. I think this is a reflection of the of the growing pains of a the league, and the growing pains of COVID of having to learn to adapt to COVID. Yeah. Uh, it looked a little amateurish. Right? Um, it reminded me a little bit of some of what I might see if I'm trying to watch some of the college games being broadcast here in the United States. Um, yeah. But again, I think that's a product of both the fact that they had to play at a venue that they're not accustomed to playing for playing in, and the fact that. Uh, that's the first weekend and they haven't quite sorted out some of those details that things had to be brought together rather late. Normally when San Diego plays in Torero stadium in San Diego, it's a beautiful production. The camera angles are wonderful. The stadium is wonderful. It's really a nice quaint stadium. Um, it really has a lot of value to watch as a consumer of rugby, to watch the game on TV when it's at Torero. Um, consequently on the other side of the coin, going to the LA Coliseum, I think you saw the majesty of what could be, for example, a final in 2031 for a World Cup. Um, if if it comes to North America, one of those venues that you could really envision seeing being completely filled, the pitch was perfect. The venue was absolutely pristine. The only thing it lacked was fans. But the camera angles were brilliant. I think it really provided a great production value. And I got to say, for guys that played on that pitch on that day, it had to have been an exhilarating feeling for a guy like DTH to do something historic in a historic stadium. It was really brilliant to watch. Uh, thoroughly impressed. So I'm glad Gilcrest put that together and was able to get it there. I don't care what anybody says. Yes, 70,000 fans, and it will look a little empty initially in their first couple games. But if they do the camera angles right, I think they can still make a, an impressive product. So this work, this first weekend, um, I think it's going to be it's going to be seen as success to be able to have be without rugby for a year. Um, you know, there are going to be bumps in the road. There's going to be no doubt about that. There are going to be bumps in the road. We've already seen our first Nola's game got pushed from yesterday to today. But to see games continue to go off. And to see fans, what I think fans will be back in the stadiums in bigger and bigger numbers uh, as COVID restrictions are lifted. Um, I just hope we get to that. We're able to get to that final and see a wonderful product uh, come off on August 1st. Um, and that'll be a celebration for sure. Yeah, I, I heard George Killebrew, the commissioner, saying if we get to the 1st of August and have that final, that will be a, a you know a celebration in itself, you know. But yeah, I, from my point of view, I agree with you. You know, looking at and you got to take all of these factors that you just mentioned in in consideration. Um, but it's exciting to see that there is that interest, um, you know, and that somebody like the commissioner has got a, a very good idea how to, how to get that product out there. Um, and you know there, there's own, there's 12 teams currently. There will be teams added to this to so, sort of serve different areas of, of the states and Canada. And 
I can just see that um, this going to turn out to be a league that a lot of teams want to come and play. Now, the Americans are not used to cricket or anything like that, but cricket's got their 2020 or their um, IPL in, in, in Indian Premier League, and a lot of top players go and play that league and they come back and play for their province or their, their home team or whatever it is, you know. I can see that happening potentially in, in the MLR, and I can also see that happening in terms of just the league becoming uh, that rugby attainment that has been thrown thrown about that term. Because the Americans do it differently than anywhere else in the world, you know, and that might be an attraction. And and that's where I think it will become quite a, a different, something different for rugby fans to sort of engage with. Do you agree with me on that or do you see it taking a longer time to get there or um i agree with you in that you've got to make the experience especially for new fans that don't know rugby look you and i can go to twickenham or we can go to uh, ellis park or we can go to any major rugby venue in the world and we'll have i guarantee you we'll enjoy the day because we know how we know how to do that we know how we want to take it all in and consume it and experience it. As I said, I'm going down to NOLA next weekend. I guarantee you my my guy, uh, Benjamin Haswell, he will be helping me experience and take it all in. But for the new rugby fan, you want to give them a door-to-door experience from the time they leave their driveway to the time that they return. You want them to have that moment where they come back and say, that was brilliant. There was something for everybody. When they take their wives, their children, uh, of course, uh, the the – Men or women that that play rugby will enjoy the rugby and look to to take that piece all in. But it's your spouse and it's your children that also got to have a part and an experience for them to enjoy, for them to want to come back and say, you know what, um, we want to be season ticket holders next year because for eight games a season, eight weekends a season, we're going to thoroughly enjoy our experience. Or maybe let's take a trip to another venue uh, when things open up. Go up up. For me, it would be driving eight hours to Toronto and taking in an Arrows game, um, or yeah. or you know um, go taking my family. We were going to go down to Nola, drive down to Nola. My myself and my my wife and my two kids. We're going to drive down to Nola. Some things got in the way, but the idea that we want that experience to be something that even non rugby playing folks thoroughly enjoy. And so it's all about rugby attainment, right? You go there, there's a concert happening. There's, you know, some touch rugby for the kids to have a little bit of fun before they go. There's the merchandising that, you know, wives are looking at, you know, women specific, uh, women, you know, custom cut uh, T-shirts and jerseys and earrings and, you know, all those pieces so that everybody has something that they come away with going, I want that again because it was great. And so it's going to take time. It, there's no doubt it will take time to grow in the United States. But I've always said that um, you've got to start with your rugby core first if you have a franchise. Start with the people that know rugby. Make it good for them. Bring them in. Invite them. Make it something that they love, that they have a bond with. This team is my team, um, like I have with NOLA, right? And then you build out from there. So their friends, they bring their friends. And now their friends who weren't necessarily rugby folks, they go, yeah, I like what this team is selling. I like the experience and love and enjoy it. And then other people hear about it. They may not have a tie to rugby, but they've heard about that experience and they want to engage in that experience too. And so it's all about building from that core concentrically out to where you get uh, the city and the people of the city to buy in to what 
you are doing on the pitch and off the pitch alike. No, for sure. And I think America has got that understanding of how to do it. There's now obviously um, they com- MLR rugby is competing with these amazing American sports that's so mainstream, you know. But, you know, your experience of rugby getting involved in it and then, you know, a rugby attainment now potentially giving other people that experience. And, you know, I can see it happening. But, you know, like you say, it will take time. But, you know, it's an exciting one. And I think it's one if uh, a World Cup can get to that to the U.S., um, it will come at the right time. And then it will hopefully push rugby a little bit further. And we know we, we everybody speaks about it. But um, what games that stu- stood out for you? You mentioned earlier uh, games you watched. Uh, so I watched the the Rooney uh, San Diego game. Um, I think it was to be expected. It was a little bit sloppy. There were periods where you saw some good levels of play. Uh, I think there were some other periods where you saw I saw the ball being thrown a, around a little bit too much, and thought to myself, you know, just take the ball up, uh, go forward, allow your support to come and provide the next you know, phase of play rather than trying to throw the ball and make something exciting happen. I think, you know, with, with the MLR, it's not, you know, we're not, I mean, comparatively, by the way, you know, compared to the the six nations, the defenses aren't as tight, obviously, as you go up to international play, the defenses get far more tight. Right. And, and that's perhaps, I think that's a, that's actually a silver lining in the MLR, right? Because it can provide that, that new person, can come and watch a game that doesn't understand why you kick a ball high in the air and run up under it, or you kick for, for territory. They, they don't necessarily understand that, but what they do understand is when there, there's that brilliant break or that nice combination play that allows to spring somebody through a gap. And because the defenses aren't quite as tight in the MLR, at least right now in its early, you know, fourth year, uh, it does provide a lot of entertainment value. Um, so I, I thought there was some, I really thought San Diego would be a bit stronger at the set piece, they, of course, uh, were missing JP, um, uh, sorry, uh, Peterson, Joe Peterson, uh, an amazing um, number 10 from South Africa. He's played 15 in a couple games last year. And of course, they were missing Rob Shaw. Um, so I thought they would, I thought they would win that game. Um, but with those two playmakers out, um, I think it, you know, it really demonstrated why, you know, a couple key players can make all the difference in your run of play. Um, and then I watched the uh, a bit of the L.A. game uh, with New England. I thought I, I saw a difference there of just how when you bring um, just two people with over 220 caps to their name, the difference that they can make in the quality of play, even and, and no disrespect to them, even as long in the tooth as those guys are. Right. And then, of course, you put a DTH in there who's still still kind of has some rugby legs left in him, just what his experience and uh, maturity with the game, what kind of difference that can make. Um, And then they have a lot of MLR guys that are well-heeled in the MLR that uh, of course, um, you know, are, are, you know, good players in their own right. And what I really like seeing is a, is a shout out to my guy, Roddy, uh, Christian Rodriguez. He came from LU, uh, LU product, and he's an LA product too. Uh, he's one of those guys where I think can be an excellent ambassador for the MLR because he is from LA. He's actually coaches, uh, youth programs in LA. Um, he's, uh, a segment of the population. I think MLR needs to reach out to, uh, you know, the Hispanic, um, you know, uh, players, uh, Hispanic youth. Um, I think we can, you know, the league and, and the, the, the teams need to 
really, and the youth programs need to find a way to get into uh, the African-American communities to spread it because it is still, you know, it's, it, it was a, it's still to some degree seen as a gameplay, you know, by, by, uh, you know, white guys. Uh, and I think that there's a, a lot of opportunity to bring this game to a lot of other cultural groups in the United States. Um, and Roddy's a great example of that. Um, He's a champion, man. So I like to see him get a get a an opportunity to play at the end of the game there on that big, huge Coliseum stage. For sure. Was there any players that I know it was sometimes sloppy, even the the Free Jacks uh, LA game, you know, later on, you know, uh, it's to be understood, you know, they haven't played for such a long time, right? You know, coming back into it, you know, and different than environment with COVID around, et cetera, is, is totally different, you know, so it will take time. It took time with the guys back here in the UK playing top level rugby, they get them back into their game, you know, so you would understand that, you know, so, um, but was there any guy, guys apart from him that, that sort of caught your eye that you haven't really um, sort of seen play or seen developed um, or, just caught you by surprise, you know? Uh, you know, and I only caught the last probably 25 or 30 minutes of that match because it was, it was, okay. it started a uh, half an hour after the match that we were featuring at our watch party. Um, obviously I saw the highlights and you can't say enough about the experience that they put on the field. Um, but, um, you know, I, I really kind of keep my eye on some of the young guys because here's an example. Uh, in the first game that I watched, uh, Saul Muching scored a try. Uh, Saul, I think he may have scored the first try for San Diego. Uh, but Saul's a mainstay at San Diego. Um, he's a young guy. He's an American. He played American football. He's one of those guys, I think, that represents um, where some levels of development are reaching out towards those crossover athletes. He had played, of course, as a youth in his youth. So he was not unfamiliar with rugby as a game, but he's uh, the kind of player that I think Americans would really latch on to. Um, he's from Hawaii. Um, so he's that Pol- Polynesian culture. Uh, he's a, he's a flank. Uh, he's a strapping lad. He's got a nice combination of size, you know, speed, aggressiveness. And it's uh, again, he's one of those players I think we should celebrate in the league for American fans because they're, I think they'll identify with, you know, his, his roots and his background and um, the kind of tough, physical, hard-nosed play that, that he represents. So I like watching Psalm, um, you know, um, and, and I really wish I could have seen Joe Peterson and Rob Shaw out there because it would have been nice to see them. Of course, Nate Osberger, he's been around for a long time, U.S. Eagle. I liked watching him. So um, those are a couple Do guys that I he's going to play? So, uh, you mean for the U.S.? Nate, oh, are you, th- are you talking about Peterson? Nate, is he going to play um, sevens, sevens first and then will he go come back into free jacks um, or will will that be just him finish the sport? After, no, no. After uh, Nate Augsburger played for played 15s for the San Diego, for San Diego. He started yesterday at nine. Okay. Um, yeah. So he, uh, he will probably be in the Eagles mix uh, if they indeed play England and the British nine Ly- Irish lions midsummer. Um, I think you'll see him in the mix. Um, 
I don't know if it'll be in a starting role or not because the I think they've been grooming Ruben de Haas, who plays actually for the Cheetahs. They've been grooming him um, at the scrum half position. So uh, he's another young guy that I like to watch. Um, it'd be nice to see him back come come to the MLR for sure. But obviously, he's you know playing the Pro 14 is a pretty pretty good place to be for a young guy. Um, but uh, yeah, it's 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 good to see Nate. Uh, still playing. He got, he took a, took a little bit of a knock there in mid game, but continued on. So his you know, physical toughness, I think shown through there. Awesome. Now, Luke, let's, um, let's go further into the game in the U S and Canada. Yeah. And um, looking, I mean, I'm looking at the time now, but um, your take and uh, where the U S and Canada there is at the moment with the development their roots, um, their coaching development, rugby at school level, um, women's girls rugby, you know, um, rugby potentially in, in the universities and at club level. Where where do you see, I mean, the game has been established in, in the North America for a long time, but where do you see the game at the moment and where can you see you the the game USA rugby Canada rugby can have easy gains in terms of engaging them early or bringing people to the game. I think it's just two very different stories with rugby Canada and, and USAR. Sure. Um, I think, and what's interesting is you know US has gotten the better as far as at the international level has gotten the better of rugby Canada here in the in the last couple of years. Uh, having said that, I think that. Rugby Canada is developing in their pathway in a little better place than the USAR is right now. Uh, Jamie Cudmore is heading up. Um, of course, he was a, a international uh, for Canada, a hard man. Uh, if there if there are hard men left, it's, he's still one of them. Um, but he's heading up their their uh, development program out in the west, out in BC area. Um, and really doing a lot of good things. We had him on our show in December. Um, so I think they've got some systems in place for Rugby Canada to really help Rugby Canada grow. So uh, if the United States doesn't get themselves into position soon, you could see that tables turn for a couple of years, that Rugby Canada could get the best of USA uh, Rugby uh, at the international level. USAR, of course, coming out of bankruptcy. I think that's hampering their ability to do some things in growing the game. Uh, the only advantage is, is that there's obviously with 11 and next year, 12 teams and potentially more in the United States, the MLR is really put, picking up some of the efforts um, to develop the game and to bring along the next generation of players. Um, and I think we have to be cautious that we don't put it all on A, USAR, and B, the MLR teams. Uh, I think to do that would be short-sighted. It would relieve guys like me of, of our responsibility to grow the game. Um, they're providing some platforms. I think it's the responsibility of the grassroots uh, level for play, former players, dads who had played, moms who had played, um, to develop those grassroots programs using, of course, the tools that are available when presented in the MLR. So, you know, um, obviously with MLR teams being where they're at, there's a lot of a lot of tools and resources to draw upon, right? And the MLR has actually fostered that with um, providing incentives for teams to, to develop academies and to develop 
um, you know, their, their youth academies and high school academies and to develop their youth programs. Right. But like in, in the Midwest where I'm at, there isn't an MLR presence yet. So we have still, we don't have, we've still got to develop that. You know, we've got to provide the infrastructure. USAR can't do it. And there's no MLR presence yet. So we have to take up that mantle. We have to take up that fire and, and move it forward. Um, I think one of the keys is institutionalization, right? We've got to get rugby into the schools, you know, touch rugby into the PE programs mm-hmm. um, and really start to develop uh, and get kids in on rugby early. Because once they get to high school, this is what I found in my experience. Once they get to high school, uh, American, a lot of American football coaches force kids to choose. And it's not just choose between rugby and football. It's choose between football, American football, and whatever other sport they're playing. So they, they unfortunately, they don't like to share their players. They don't like to share their athletes. They like to have those athletes in their programs, lifting weights and doing all their off-season workouts and things like that throughout the whole year. They want to have uh, a monopoly on their on their athletes. And of course, you know, we're drawing from some of the same types of players. And quite frankly, we need to figure out how to get our kids, those players interested in rugby early on. So they begin to say, no, we're going to play both sports and it's, and that's okay. Um, I think we have an opportunity with the women's game, actually, because the way I see it, you know, in the schools, girls play volleyball or they cheerlead in the fall. Some play some golf, some play some tennis, some do some swimming. There are other sports, but your your real physical sports in the fall are are you know cheerleading from the lifting and the tumbling and the flexibility and the gymnastics component, and then volleyball, of course, because you get your height, you get your physical you know toughness. Um, well, volleyball athletes are year-round athletes, and then. Not all cheerleaders really have that ingrained, t- you know, physical toughness. So, I think we have a gap there in the fall to really attract some girls that are athletic, that are physically, you know, well uh, suited for rugby, um, to give them something to do in the fall sports that they may not be able to get from some of the other sports that are there and available, institutionally speaking. Um, and by the way, um, I think that's a reflection of the fact that at the college level the NCAA has endorsed women's rugby and it has not yet picked up men's rugby. So I think that's a, again, the title nine piece in the United States is critical, right? Because then we can start to balance out our sports that we have at the high school and even middle school level and the collegiate level with providing, you know, another women's sport for, for girls to engage in. So I, I think, I think those are areas and opportunities for growth. But am I right in saying that um, there's not many um, university or college sort of programs that has got a performance side of it? There's more in rugby now. It's more of a social, which is important, that social bit. But you also want the, uh, the extra bit on top of that, you know, because not everybody wants the performance bit. But and the, the social bit's very, very important. But that performance, but if it's there, it gives that people, those guys, another opportunity. Um, so there are 72 men's D1A programs in the United States. Okay. Having said that, not, and then there's D, D2, and then there's, 
you know, D4 and, and what used to be Nescro. And, and it's kind of, there's a little bit of changeover in there in the organizational structure. But um, I mean, rugby is fairly pervasive in college campuses, but I think you hit the nail on the head in the sense that what's, what's the differentiation between the more social sides and the more performance oriented sides. Um, they're probably only about 16 to 20 high performance college programs in the United States. Um, and, all and all those universities out of all those universities. Um, and, and when we talk about high performance, we're talking about four to five days a week of some sort of training, whether it's, you know, four days a week of actual training on the pitch or training on the pitch in some sort of weight program, uh, some sort of video analysis component. Um, so there is a big difference there and it comes down to university philosophy you know, at Lindenwood or Life or St. Mary's or Cal, the administration has made a commitment to those programs, providing and supporting those programs. Um, not, it's a little bit fewer and far between for like an IU has a very successful program. That's Indiana University has a very successful program, but you know, they're, they're looking for donors to bring money in like a guy like Mark Cuban who went there and played there. Um, you know, they're looking and trying to get money from, from donors like that rather than from the university in order to help their, their program grow and expand and become a, a more high performance than what, what they are. Now I think um, maybe, yes, MR as the number of teams grow, in areas where there's those universities, they potentially will start putting feelers out to those universities saying, look, we want to invite people into our academy, but first we need to sort of understand where you guys are and how we can help you. Potentially that will be a, a, a way as well, but then that's from one end, you know, so hopefully from the other end there's also – because like everybody saying, um, the game in America – has got to add more, a bit more culture. People need to know a bit more about it and understand it a bit more. But, um, you know, certainly has all the um, athletes there and certainly has the, the, the entertainment there for people to sort of buy into it. And, but um, let's, let's fast forward a little bit and talk about 2031. I think that could potentially be, um, like you said, a Rugby World Cup here for uh, North America. Yeah. If we get to that point, where would you see the, the, the whole game? If that is announced, there's a four of whatever amount of years leading up to that, that builds excitement, etc. that builds all sorts of uh, chances for um, the game to sort of go and find those players and find engagement of parents, etc., etc. Um, where, what can you see in thirty thirty, uh, sorry, thirty thirty one, twenty thirty one? You know, for for the North American game. So, if we think about twenty thirty one, we're ten ten years away. At that point, the MLR will be thirteen, fourteen years old, and will be a more established league. I would sense that it would have more TV accessibility on mainstream TV. Obviously, that will help it grow. So I think it will be well positioned at that point, that real nice point where 
you're going to have a professional league that's already existed, that already has a really nice, firmly rooted infrastructure. And now it's just about growing that infrastructure um, to bigger and better things. I think it would be wise for whatever entity brings that to North America, brings the Rugby World Cup to North America to use the existing rugby infrastructures in some way. So you can imagine in 10 years, you'll see teams like what's happening in Utah. They actually have a facility plan to build a new uh, training and and game facility. Uh, You're seeing in Houston with Aviva has already done that. Um, you're seeing an OGDC has moved out to a new a new area out in Leesburg, Virginia, where they could easily work with that to create a bigger and better infrastructure. NOLA has taken over what was a baseball stadium. I can guarantee you in 10 years' time that NOLA, will, that will be a rugby-only facility with rugby training facilities around it. Um, I hope that Chicago develops something, and there are there are and there is a place to host rugby here at a twenty thousand seat seat stadium and Sea Stadium with an improvement in that facility. Could that be uh, a a really a good part of the MLR infrastructure? And the part where that ties in is none of those on their own could be used as a final, but they could be used to host those yeah. uh, tier two nations, uh, you know, pool matches. Right. Uh, and strategically, you spread those matches out to those MLR cities to really enhance and grow what the league's already built upon. And then you use your crown jewels like the Coliseum or, you know, Soldier Field or, or something of that nature to put on your final as the as the the creme de la creme of that Rugby World Cup North American experience. I mean, Toronto having Lamport, you know, they need to make some improvements probably having Lamport, you know, host. And if, if Vancouver gets a team down the road, you could have a brilliant, you know, semifinal in some place like Vancouver. Um, so yeah. there's a lots of potential, but I think in my mind, I think you use some of the existing MLR infrastructure um, to then support uh, this uh, beautiful, wonderful world global entity that is the Rugby World Cup. Look, I'm hoping that uh, I know it's 10 years away, but all right, thanks for that. But um, coffee then, you, um, we spoke about it. Um, so what do you think? How do you see coffee as part of rugby? So I, I guess I'd go back to my own experience. Uh, I have a mate of mine whom we coach together at the youth level. He's a Kiwi. Um, and we get together on occasion and it's been difficult during COVID, but we get together on occasion on a Saturday morning and we talk life, we talk rugby and it's all done over a cup of coffee. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of the story of Tom Petty who uh, has passed away, but Tom Petty, the musician, talked about, you know, a a wonderful cup of coffee. And what makes that cup of coffee wonderful is the experience surrounding it. It goes back to what we talked about as rugby as a game and how you can make the fan enjoy it. Well, it's it's all about the experience. It's where you are. It's who you're with. It's what that conversation was. It's everything that engages your senses. It's the aroma. It's the flavor. Um, All those things for me make the experience around a cup of coffee memorable, something that I want to have as much as I can. And sometimes it's as simple as I'm going to sit down and watch a Six Nations game at 9 a.m. here in the States, 
and sit with a cup of coffee, have my dog next to me and just enjoy a wonderful, beautiful game. Or it's having that great conversation with a rugby mate that I haven't seen in a while and catching up over a cup of coffee. So it's all around that whole experience. Um, and for me, it's, you know, uh, rugby coffee has changed that experience because, you know, I was one of those guys who would every morning get a cup of coffee, put some, you know, cr- good, you know, flavored creamer in it and off I'd go to work. And, and this bag of rugby coffee, this, uh, you know, a uh, crowd favorite, uh, it, no flavoring necessary, a little bit of cream, a little bit of sugar, yeah, and exactly. it, it lives on its own flavor with its own merit. So, um, I've really enjoyed it, uh, over the last, uh, week that, that I've, I've had the, the crowd favorite. It's been a great, made for great, uh, cup of coffee and some great experiences. I had one this morning, as a matter of fact, um, talking with some rugby mates on some business, uh, arrangements. That's fantastic to hear. And we, we, um, we envisage that sort of, um, engagement with coffee and around rugby, etc. but you have to have a good, um, product. And, um, you know, like I said earlier, we are lucky to have this, um, amazing sort of partner that just advises on this and, uh, creating beautiful coffee. We are introducing two, uh, flavors. You know, it's two sort of roasts. And one is the crowd favorite, which is the medium roast, you know, and, you know, the other one is, is the jouet jouet, which is, right. Play, play is a French sort of way. If you if you go anywhere where French play, or here in the UK, if you want to play a game and you just want to make make the game, the ball move, etc. Joué, joué, and joué, joué is a is a dark roast, more of a flum, flare, flamboyant type um, sort of French style roast, and another nice one. And they, they, those are the two ones that we are doing here in the uh, in the US and Canada. Um, for a start and then we'll add the others as we go so we went live yesterday with our website yesterday the 20th of march with our website in the u.s so exciting times for us and we've seen a couple of people who put their pre-order in already which is exciting for us and yeah so we're looking forward to sort of get that roast done in mid-april beginning of april and then start sending our first ones out to 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 those who, who want to try it and obviously people are going to make help us make a difference and that's that's the whole thing that togetherness that coffee rugby people bringing people together that's that's the big thing now um if i if i look at your podcast and where you're going and the timing of us getting involved in the MLR, etc. I think it's it's exciting from our side of things. So I want to thank the Rugby Rand for for all that you guys are doing. We are very very um, you know grateful for what you're doing um, for us. And you know we're looking forward to engaging with the fans and and people in the in North America to try and do our part and together to sort of see what kind of change can we bring in kids lives you know so exciting from our side so uh, the brand ambassadors we've got there's dth from the we're playing for the la Giltinis. um he played he's a canadian international played four world cups he played in glasgow um he played in wales and he played in, in newcastle and england um also, we have 
Dallas Stanford, World Rugby, uh, you know, World Cup commentator and seven series commentator and commentator MLR, etc. So, and then we're going to introduce another one this week, um, a, a young and up-and-coming player playing in the MLR, um, very close to what we're doing with the coffee. So we're going to announce it. So exciting times for us. So um, I want to give you, as a finish, I want to give you three words. And this is the three-word challenge. And, you know, the first thing that comes up, uh, you got to shout out, whatever it is, okay. you know. I'll make it easy for you and the stuff that you probably – get an answer for quite quickly. So MLR. Exciting. Coffee. Oh, uh, coffee. Um, comforting. There you go. North American rugby. Future. Brilliant. That was brilliant. Thank you. The hammer. Rob, the Hammer Hammerschmidt um, Rugby Rand podcast. Um, thank you for your time. And it's really a pleasure to work with you guys and looking forward to sending you guys your next coffee soon. Um, and have a lovely time watching your NOLA. Yeah. So we're, I, I want to thank you for having me. I want to thank uh, Rugby Coffee for working with us as a, as a partner, it's, it's a wonderful partnership. And we of course have really enjoyed it, not just because of the coffee, but because of the people involved, similar goals, similar aspirations, similar loves and joys. And uh, again, that makes for a, a wonderful shared experience. So I want to thank you guys. We're blessed to have you on board as a, as one of our partners. Brilliant. Um, the hammer that was our longest podcast but because it's our first <laughs> video one hopefully this one works we are finished and thank you for your time and have a lovely time this afternoon thank you everybody for listening cheers cheers guys take care